welcome to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning with Wigan and Dana, the show where CPAs, insurance professionals, investment brokers, trust companies, CFPs, and more can firm up on their understanding of estate planning strategies so they can better guide their clients to make wise decisions with their legacy. Future Focus is hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. Subscribe to Future Focused Sophisticated Estate Planning on your favorite podcast platform and share episodes with your clients. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron and Michael. Welcome to Future Focused. I'm Michael Clear, and I'm joined again today with my co-host, Aaron Nichols. Happy to be here. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about trusts and trustee removal. Effectively, often, Periodically, I'll get a phone call from a prospective client, and that person says, I'd like to get rid of my trustee. And that's where it starts. And what we wanted to talk a little bit about the process that we suggest clients go through in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, you know, we've hit on it in past episodes that there's uh, fear about not being able to get rid of a trustee. So it's not uncommon to be presented with that question. And I think first and foremost, it's important to walk the person calling us through what the role of a trustee is. First and foremost, make sure the beneficiary understands what the trustee should be doing and providing to the beneficiaries. Absolutely. So we'll generally have that conversation with the clients and we've talked before and we'll just do that overview here. The We'll say to a client, the trustee has three main roles. They have an administrative role, they have an investment role, and they make distribution decisions. And we try to flesh out exactly what this prospective client has in mind and where the trustee may be falling short. Sometimes it's communication issues, right? They've asked questions and they haven't got information. Sometimes it's specific actions that a trustee has done. Sometimes it's just that there's been no communication whatsoever. And just trying to educate the client about what the role of the trustee is, what things a trustee should do on a regular basis, how involved the trustee should be in your life. Sometimes this question comes because a beneficiary has asked for a distribution and the trustee has come back and said, well, why do you want it? Or give me a budget or please provide me with some information on your financials. And some of those questions may be very appropriate and the beneficiary simply needs a guide in those distribution requests. So I think we start with that education piece of does the prospective client have an idea of what the trustee should or shouldn't be doing? Right. And then certainly thereafter, once we get on the same page with respect to those three functions of a trustee, it'll be figuring out really whether there has been communication, right? As you were alluding to, breakdown in communication or complete lack of communication is often the source of the problem. So if there's a grievance, has the beneficiary brought that grievance to the trustee? Yeah, I think that is clearly number one. That first step that we advise somebody to take is say, well, have you spoken to the trustee about your issue, about your question? Have you had a conversation with them? If you want them to resign and it's for a good reason, have you asked them to resign? Kind of trying to open up that conversation with the trustee to try to get it to a better spot. Sometimes not possible. 
right? But I think it's always best to start there and to have that initial conversation. And sometimes, certainly with us, we will encourage you to do that without the lawyer present, right? Before you get the lawyer involved, we can coach you on the conversation and how it should go and what the trustee's responses might be to some of your questions. But to have at least an initial conversation, an educated conversation with the trustee about your complaints, whether it's simply communication, whether it's wondering why more information is needed, wondering why you're not getting information, whatever it is to try to have that conversation with them in a productive manner before taking any additional steps. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, us as counsel could potentially be a source of ideas for compromise, for example. So coaching the beneficiary, not just through the conversation, but then, for example, if the issue is one of refusal to distribute assets, maybe the trust can purchase the asset that you know, the beneficiary wanted a distribution to purchase him or herself. There are, you know, middle grounds that we can help guide the beneficiary to. Yeah. So I think that kind of leads us to that next step, which is understanding the trust instrument, right? So we're going to want a copy of it and we're going to want to understand what the trust says. So is, is the prospective client the only beneficiary of the trust? If there are multiple beneficiaries of the trust, is that okay? How are they treated? Is somebody the primary beneficiary of the trust? We're going to look at that. We're going to look to see how many trustees there are. We're all going to look to see what the trustee succession looks like, right? So if we ask this trustee to resign, does another trustee come in automatically? What do we think about that trustee? And then ultimately, we'd like to see if anyone in the document has a removal power, has the power to remove and replace the trustee. So again, we continue to educate the client about the trust, his role as a beneficiary, what the role of the trustee is, and the actual terms of the trust, right? So if it's a trust with complete discretion to make distributions, well, the trustee holds a lot of power in that situation. But if the beneficiary has a right to take out 5% of the trust every year, and that's going to be sufficient, just educating the beneficiary of that right may be sufficient to meet the beneficiary's yeah, goal. Absolutely. And I think just walking through all of the potential outcomes, as you said, is a successor named in the document. I think there are some other important things to look for. For example, if the trustee and beneficiary are at an impasse, but there's not a removal power, but maybe the trustee has indicated that he or she would be willing to resign. So looking at the resignation provisions, seeing whether it provides for you know, appointment to a vacancy, and really sort of importantly, whether resignation is allowed without court approval. Because in many jurisdictions, if, it, you know, the trust is instrument doesn't specifically provide that, then you still have to involve a court, even though the trustee is voluntarily getting out of the situation. That's a great point. I think you also have educating the client of expectations of that resignation, Right. So as Aaron mentioned, they may want to account. Ultimately, that trustee is going to want to be released from liability for their actions. 
right? So one avenue for that release would be doing a full accounting to a court and having the court approve their actions and understanding kind of the timeline involved in there and the expense involved in doing a formal accounting. It might be possible that you can convince the trustee to resign the trust permitted using a receipt and release agreement where the beneficiaries release the trustees for any action. That's a part of the conversation that you're going to have, especially on the resignation side of it. If the trustee is going to go willingly, that they will most likely also want that receipt and release agreement. Absolutely. Making sure the beneficiary understands that the trust is on the hook for the fees that those things generate. So it could be costly and maybe the beneficiary doesn't want the trustee out that badly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's they have to weigh the options. I guess the other piece is even upon a removal, what sort of rights the trustee has once they've been removed to either secure that receipt and release or go to court and account. So the document may permit an easy removal of a trustee under certain circumstances, but that again would have its consequences related to a receipt and release agreement. Sometimes the document's not enough though. Right. In some situations, a beneficiary may ask a trustee to resign and the trustee says no for a variety of reasons. And then we're going to be stuck with some sort of judicial process relating to that removal. Yeah, I was smiling at Michael because certainly we've had our fair share of matters where we're dealing with exactly that situation. There's no removal ability in the document and the trustee is not willing to resign. So... In Connecticut, the course of action is a petition to the probate court, and the court would hold a hearing, you know, after giving notice to all of the interested parties. And the judge typically is sympathetic to the beneficiary's, you know, feedback regarding the trustee beneficiary relationship. And, you know, I would say to someone in that circumstance, it's probably more likely than not that the court would issue an order removing the trustee as requested and would give the trustee the opportunity to account to the court to represent the final period of, of yeah. him or her holding so the assets. So one, one caveat there is that Connecticut has a what we would call a no-fault removal statute. So if all of the beneficiaries agree that the trustee should be removed, the court will often should really side with that no-fault removal provision, right? However, if not all of the beneficiaries agree, which is similar to a standard in, in other states, there may be a higher bar for removal. It may require a breach of fiduciary duty or some self-dealing, something more egregious that would have to occur in order to get a trustee out. I think in any of those, if you have a trustee that you've asked to resign and has not wanted to, and you walk into court to seek their removal, you're looking at litigation, right? You're looking at court hearings, notice, maybe appointment of guardian ad litems. You're seeing a contested matter, which really can cost a lot of money. And people will say, well, who's paying for that? And the trustee most likely within a reasonableness factor is maybe paid to stay in right? They'll be paid for their legal counsel in there to the extent that their desire to stay in is deemed reasonable by the court. Yeah, you're right. It can get expensive very quickly. 
And I was, you know, sort of thinking through various situations that we've been in. And I think a lot of the time, if we're in a jurisdiction that has a high bar for removal, for judicial removal of a trustee, and the trustee is not acquiescing, but isn't altogether acting unreasonable in his or her conduct, then maybe our advice isn't necessarily to move forward with court action, given the probability of success there. Yeah, I think in those situations, you go back to the document and you say, okay, so if we don't think we can get removal, what can we get, right? So the trustee has a high standard that they must operate under. And if the removal request has come from a request for a distribution, like Aaron had mentioned before, what other ways are there to fund the money? So teaching the trustee that, you know, what maybe the trustee buys the house so that the house sits within the trust or the trust provides the mortgage for buying a house, trying to come up with creative solutions for the beneficiary when removal looks like an unlikely situation. Yeah. And certainly another option in sort of that compromise realm is to suggests that the trustee go to the court for approval of a certain action. So perhaps the trustee said no, because he or she is being judicious and, you know, interpretation or just general distribution standards. So going to the court to seek approval for a specific distribution or other act is almost always a possibility in any jurisdiction. And there you can sort of present a united front for a common goal. Absolutely. So I think that's a a great overview of the advice that we give to a client or a prospective client when they call and are struggling with that trustee relationship, right? So we're going to start with making sure the client understands the roles of the trustee, the terms of the trust. Are there any removal provisions or what's the trustee's success within the document? And then if being nice or trying to work within the trust framework doesn't work, looking at our judicial options relating to removal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a good summary. And it, you know, leaves us with a few different options on this topic. So certainly we're always happy to talk through this with any potential client. Great. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning, hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear partners of the private client services department at Wigan and Dana. At Wigan and Dana, our aim is preserving the wealth that a family has worked so hard to create and pride ourselves in offering value-driven solutions and results. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, share episodes with your clients, and follow our highly talented, creative, and experienced lawyers on LinkedIn for even more great insight. We'll see you next time on Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning.